At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job. Visit nicejob.com to learn all about the reputation marketing tools available for small businesses. Collect two to three times more reviews, share that social proof on your website and social media, and get more leads and sales. New signups can get $50 off when they mention the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. Visit get.nicejob.com to learn more. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and I have been talking about having that good rapport with your with your supplier, right? And, and times are tough these days with getting equipment and parts, and that's that's not really anybody's fault. I mean, COVID has done this, I, I guess, with all the shutdowns and people aren't working as much, right? Factories at like a reduced capacity. So the, the, the raw materials are, are tough to get to manufacture. Okay. So, but having that good rapport with, with your, with your counter person might be able to help your situation a little bit better. If, if, um, Tech number one is a complete asshole and always abuses the counter uh, guy or counter girl and calls for something. And then two minutes later, tech number two calls and he's the nice guy, uh, gets along, always says hi, um, has conversations, has good rapport, and they both want the same thing. Human nature, this is, forget professionalism for a minute, but human nature... (laughs) will gravitate towards the person they like more. You might not agree with that, but that's human nature. We we just we want to help people that have we have good rapport with. It's plain and simple. Um so I preach that to you guys and thank you for the Master Group to sponsor this podcast. Much appreciated. Check out master.ca. Hey, what's up guys? Welcome back to the podcast. So We have a very important topic to discuss and it's important because I don't think there's enough education on pump shaft alignment, not even just pumps, but shaft alignment in general, because I don't know if there's any, I'm I'm sure there is, I'm sure there's a lot of open drive compressors out there where the motor is separate from the compressor and they're joined together with a coupling. Now, to be honest, in my 22 years in this industry, I have only seen, actually, you know what, now that I think about it, 24 years, including my schooling, it it feels like that time is just moving by so quickly. So in about 24 years, I've literally only seen one open drive compressor and it does not exist anymore because the building was renovated. So when I talk about shaft alignment, it's mostly on pumps that I see and I don't even do a ton of that, but it's a super important topic because there's, I don't think there's enough discussion or education around it. So we got Tony first from Armstrong on to talk about shaft alignment, and we're going to take a deep dive into the subject. 
right? We're going to talk about the different types of alignment, like parallel alignment, which is your up and down and horizontal and angular, angular alignment. That's a tough word to, to, to bust out angular alignment as well, which basically if, if the shaft is on an angle, right? If the two shafts are not, um, straight and one of the ones on an angle type thing. Uh, we're going to talk about soft foot, which you guys have all seen before, but maybe you didn't know what the term was. You know, like if, if a motor kind of rocks on its mount, that means you got a soft foot condition. And we're going to talk about the ways that we can fix that. Even ways that we can fix uh, vibration in piping and vibration on a, on a mount, like a frame. So it's, it's a very important topic. And I mean, it's not the most exciting topic in the world, pump shaft alignment, but it's extremely important to do and do it properly, or you can have a ton of issues going forward with your hydronic system, or if it's an open drive compressor with your refrigeration system. So Tony first is here to talk about it with me on the podcast, guys. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, Tony, welcome back. This is your second go-around on the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. How are you? Gary, I'm doing wonderful, man. Uh, I'm looking, I'm really glad that you invited me back. Uh, we had a bunch of fun the last time and, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to having our discussion this evening, uh, talking about, uh, talking about pumps and motor shaft alignment and, and all the wonderful things we get to do with pumps. Yeah. And, and for me, so I'll be honest, I don't work on a ton of large pumps and, and the, the, the shaft alignments I've done have been with the rubber, like eight J type coupling that's had a lot of, they're very forgiving. Even in the instructions, it says you can be out this much or that much. And the instructions, um, let you know, basically those couplings are very forgiving, but if you're working with a, a rigid coupling, you don't really have a lot of play there to deal with. And you really have to make sure things are bang on. So I mean, I, we should probably start first with what is shaft alignment anyway? Like, what is it? Okay. So you are correct in that different types of couplings have different tolerances for misalignment. And so um, I'm used to doing this, teaching people how to do alignments where I've got a pump in front of me and I've got a camera on me and I can show people what I'm doing. Um, so I'm going to try to set up a little visual here of what we would do. So if you can imagine two soup cans and the left-hand soup can is connected to the shaft of my pump and the right-hand soup can is connected to the shaft of my motor. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the two vertical faces of those soup cans are the ends or the faces of my couplings. Yep. And so what I want is I want both of those faces to be perfectly aligned in elevation. And I want them to be aligned angularly 
Um, so I want, I want parallel alignment and I want angular alignment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that everything, you know, all the dimensions between the faces up and down, side to side are all the same. And, um, what I normally am going to do and, and because in between those two soup cans, there's a spacer and that spacer allows for a little bit of movement. Okay. And that movement is there for thermal growth. Um, and also every motor has a magnetic center. So I don't know if you've ever grabbed a hold of a motor shaft on a, uh, yep, goes up and down. T- t- well, yeah, it, well, it goes up and down, but more importantly, it goes in and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, okay. yeah, that, so, that's you know, what I you, mean. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah, so if you got you know if you got a motor sitting there on the on a bench and the the shaft is horizontal, you know the shaft will move in and out. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but every motor has a magnetic center, and they're all a little different. Um. Even, even if I take 10 motors made by ABB that all come off the line one right after the other, every one of them is going to have a slightly different magnetic center just because of the way they're wound and the copper and the windings and the iron and the stator and the rotor. It's going to center a little bit differently. And so when I start that motor up, that motor is going to find its magnetic center. So that spacer in between the two coupling halves is designed to take up some of that slop. It's also designed to allow for certain thermal growth. But what it's not designed to do is to have those two halves out of alignment with each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that they are aligned vertically and they're aligned so that the top edge of the soup cans is parallel side, you know, across the entire face, Mm -hmm. the pump shaft to the motor shaft. And, so what happens is what we're going to do, um, there's a couple ways of aligning those. Um, the slick way to do it, you know, the, the, the quick down and dirty is to throw a straight edge across them, mm-hmm. across the top edge. And, um, you know, that, that coupling half is eh, three quarters of an inch to an inch wide. Okay. Um, on that, that center hub. So you're going to set the credit card or there a straight edge on there, and you're going to make sure it's touching the full width on the top, and you're going to do the same thing on the side. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gets you, you know, that's a good eyeball. Now, that's not necessarily, depending on the type of the coupling you have and different coupling manufacturers, uh, Woods uh, Woods has a different tolerance than Duraflex, Um they all have a little different tolerance. And uh, now I'm going to date myself a little bit. When I move into open drive chiller market, um, they use a different style coupling. They use a metal um, spider in the middle of the coupling instead of the rubber flex that you're used to on the pumps. Okay. Because, of the higher tor- because of the higher torque that's required for compressors. All right. Those have a much higher tolerance. Um, those, are, those are in the thousandths. Um, whereas when we're talking about pump couplings, we're in the hundreds of okay. deviation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the, the process is the same. Okay. It doesn't make any difference what kind of coupling it is. You're going to do the same things. Okay? So let me, let Straight me ask edge you, is kind of a, 
let, let me ask okay, you this then. So we're going to use the straight edge. And it's funny because I did a little video on how to roughly align a pump with the rubber couplings. And I use the caliper and I use a straight edge and I use shims and stuff. So maybe we should start with if we're using the straight edge, parallel alignment would be side to side or up and down, right? And then angular Correct. alignment would be if you take if you took that motor, you took one corner and kitty corner and you shifted the two and made the coupling go on an angle just so we can clarify those two things. Right? Yes, exactly. So, so when we're going to do the rough alignment, where, where should we start with parallel or angular? I like to start with parallel. Okay. That's my personal preference. All right. So um, up and down, side to side, we want to get that right yep. first. Yep. Get that one right. And if you got that one right, then angular tends to fall into place a little bit easier. Um, at least that's what I found. Now, my personal preference for alignment tools is, you know, eons ago in my, my younger days, um, before we had really cool electronic tools, I used dial indicators. Yeah. You know, two dial indicators, one on the top of the coupling, one on the face of the coupling, and you rotate, you take one, one set, one coupling half stays fixed, and you rotate the other one, and you look for the run out on each face, and you, and you shim the motor because you never touch the pump end. The pump end is fixed because it's attached to the piping and the base, and that's, that's, that's going to be your fixed point. Yes. So you're going to move the motor mm-hmm. and you're going to shim the motor, you know, front, back, left, right, square it, whatever you got to do to get your dial indicator readings to be within whatever the tolerance is, plus or minus um, whatever the tolerance is for your particular coupling. And so, um, and whatever you do, don't. There are companies that make shim packs. Yes, I was going to get to that too. Um, buy a shim pack. Don't don't try to cut your own. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. And I was going to say that I picked up a really cool shim kit that had, I think, twenty different sizes and eight of each size. And this thing is this thing is a really nice kit. It was like it was like two three hundred dollars, but and it's got some real nice weight to it. But it's mm-hmm. got, it's got, actually, it might even have more of that. It might even be 40 sizes, 20 of each. Now that I think about it, it was, it was a big kit and it came in so handy to, to lift my motor up, to get my, my up and down parallel, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was phenomenal. I, I loved it. And what I used was, I used a, a brand new Allen key and somebody gave me slack when I did my rough um, pump alignment video. They're like, that's not a straight edge. And I'm like, it looks pretty damn straight to me. I put it on a level, um, turned the level upside down when it was, I don't know. I just had this little thing I tried and it, and it was straight. And when I got these things lined up, um, just in a rough kind of spot, it, mm-hmm. I mean, the vibration that I had went away, um, prior. So, um, it, I think that the rough alignment is really important and then move on to like the dial indicator or laser, like after you get kind of get that set. You agree with that? Yeah. It, it, if you have a laser, and, and that, that's kind of where I was going, um, dial indicator works really well. And uh, you can do it with calipers and and all that, um, but dial indicator works really mm-hmm. well. Yep. But 
if you're not used to using a dial indicator, um, and they're 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 either chain clamped on or they're magnet type magnet based on, yep. and if they bounce or they move, then you got to start all over again. Um, the laser alignment kits and the laser alignment kits aren't cheap. They're anywhere from five thousand to about ten thousand dollars, depending on who's you're buying. Yeah. Um, but the thing I like about the laser and this is probably the, the best part about it is once you do your alignment, it tells you one, it tells you exactly what shims to put under what corner of the motor. Oh, the laser kit tells you this. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, the, that's the, awesome. The, the, yeah. It's, it's cause it's got this really cool little display and it tells you, it does all the math and everything for you. So it tells you exactly what shims you have to put where. Um, and it also tells you how far, you know, if you've got angular problems, it tells you which corner of the motor or which direction you have to shift the motor to get, to get rid of your angular misalignment. Um, and it will also detect soft foot, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Um, so that's one of the cool things about the laser. The other thing that's, that I really like about the laser from a service perspective You've been a service guy for a long time. What's the one thing that is paramount as a service guy, regardless of whether you work for yourself or you work for a contractor? What's the one thing that'll keep you out of trouble all the time? Keep you out of trouble. Um, there's there's many things that I can <laughs> think of, but um, I, I I don't know. I, I think that's a trick question, Tony. <laughs> well, it it really isn't, but documentation. Yeah, that that will that okay. will do it. Yeah. Because it in in and I don't know if you've, you know, I I I've, I've been unfortunate in or fortunate or unfortunate in my career where I've been an expert witness at different times in my career. And the one thing that I've learned dealing with lawyers and judges is that if it isn't in writing, it didn't happen. Mhm. And the one thing I like about a laser alignment kit is you can get, you, you've seen the printers that come with like a combustion analyzer where you yep. can print out your combustion analysis. Well, you yep. get the same thing for, with a laser alignment kit. You can print out the alignment report. It tells you exactly what shims you put where and the date and the time and what the tolerance was and all that. Gives you a nice, neat printout. The advantage to that is proves you did it. Yeah. And it also proves, you know, on such and such a date. Okay. So on, you know, the 24th of June, 2021, Gary McCready went out and did this alignment on pump number three. And let's say they start to have a problem where it starts to make noise or it starts to vibrate or it has a problem down the road. You got your alignment report. You can go back and check the alignment again and go, oh, wait a minute. It shifted. Mm -hmm. What happened? Why did it shift? Did a mounting foot break? Did some guy drive past it with a forklift and smack it with a fork truck? You know, you'll know exactly what you did and when. So that's what I like about the laser. Um, It gives you that documentation. I'm not going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and I'm going to guess because I don't know for sure, but I seen a very cool one by SKF. 
and it was a laser alignment tool, but it actually, you, all the information came onto your phone. So I'm going to guess, because from all the other apps that I've seen that work with tools, that you could probably, I'd have to look into it, but you could probably generate a report through that app somehow, I, I would imagine. I'm, I'm sure you can. I have not looked at the, at the SKF one. Um, the, the, the one I'm most familiar with, the one that um, in my previous life, the one I had was made by Vibraline uh, called the Shaft Hog. And I'm not, I'm not promoting anybody's, but that's the one I happen to be the most familiar with. Yeah, and they have uh, actually really just as, as a sub note, they have really good videos online for shaft alignment too. If anybody's wanting to watch some, let's think about something for a minute. Let's say we had a time machine. I went back twenty years. You guys came back with me, and we stood around the shop with our coworkers in the morning and said, "Hey guys, in twenty years from now, I'm going to have these like." five inch probes I'm going to attach to a system and I'm going to have these clamps that I'm going to clamp on the piping and I'm going to pull my smartphone out of my pocket. I'm going to pull this like little supercomputer out of my pocket. I'm going to talk to the, these probes with no wires whatsoever. And I'm going to do a full system diagnostic diagnostics. I'm going to have some analytics and I can generate a report from it and I'm going to send it uh, via the internet to my customer or to me, myself, or to the office to keep tabs on that system for startup or problems or, or whatever. Imagine you said that to the guys at the shop, all all, all the, the old school guys drinking or sitting around drinking their coffee, smoking their butts. You'd be laughed at, <laughs> right? So that's, that's why I find it funny when now there's new products coming out in the comments. Because in 20 years from now, those products will probably commonplace so it's just something funny to think about something interesting to think about is if you could take that time machine back and make that statement and see what the responses would be anyway moving on refrigeration technologies makes an awesome product called viper pen and drain treatment probably a great product for this time of the year not probably it would be because we have a lot of uh humidity issues uh with pans and drains and and leaks and stuff like that coming out of the drain or the pan or overflows. So basically what you do with this product is you clean the entire pan up, clean the drain, and you spray this, it's almost like a gel, you spray it on the bottom two rows of the evaporator coil and you coat the entire pan. It does two things, it breaks down any any debris, right, that's dropping off that coil, dirt and stuff that kind of collects. It breaks it down and helps it move down the drain slowly, um, but at a steady pace. So you're not clogging up. It also creates a slippery surface for anything that falls in there to, so it doesn't get stuck in there and start to build it. It's a slippery surface that allows it to move off. And I've even been coating condensate pump bases with this stuff. And I've seen a massive difference in how often I have to clean the condensate pump. So check out that product. It's called Viper Pan and Drain Treatment by Refrigeration Technologies. Um, So listen, Dan Foss, they have this superheat tuner, okay? And I've just discovered something. It's part of the Ref Tools app now. So the superheat tuner, okay, you, you need to know this. It's for refrigeration applications. It's not for air conditioning. So I was playing with it and I discovered this and um, I just wanted to relay that information to you guys. So if you're working on a refrigeration system and you, 
you feel like setting up the superheat and you, you're really not sure which way to go, which way to turn the TX valve, this app will help you. You set your box temperature, right? Right off the get-go. And then you set your evaporator pressure and temperature. And it tells you what your target superheat should be. And then you move on and it tells you which way and how many turns to turn the stem on the TX valve, which I thought was pretty cool. Anyway, check that out. Supco Trade Fox, guys, is a brand that was created by Supco that showcases the talents of the technicians in the industry and their ideas to create and invent tools. If you guys have a tool idea, if you guys have a drawing, a prototype, a 3D printout, whatever you have, reach out to Supco and you can potentially partner with them on your tool idea make a little bit of dough right if it works out so you email them at ideas at subcotradefox.com the other thing i wanted to talk about briefly was the blue on app it's i mean they've got like almost forty thousand people on there uh free tech support 24 7 tech support with a two minute wait time which i've tested maybe that wait time is a little bit longer now i don't know because there's so many people using it but they've added technicians to their fleet um, that are answering these calls. So I'd imagine the wait time is still minimal and it's not like that three day wait time you get when you call some of these manufacturers, right? So they're there to help, right? And they got a ton of unit manuals on there, so on and so forth. So check out the blue on app. It's totally free. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of really cool videos out there from a lot of different people, um, on how to align shafts. And the one thing I will tell everybody Every manufacturer that makes rotating machinery, us and other pump manufacturers and the, the big chiller guys, train and carrier in York and all those guys, um, we all have in our installation manuals for our rotating machinery, we all have the procedure of how you're supposed to do, how, how we want you to do alignment and what the tolerances are, what the torque values are for the set screws and what the the face-to-face dimension is for the coupling, because there is a correct face-to-face dimension. So when you set that coupling, um, there's a proper face-to-face dimension. Uh Um, And you want to set that correctly because that allows for the right thermal growth. And remember that magnetic centering I was talking about with the motor, that's what that correct face-to-face allows for. If you get them too close together, um, the magnetic centering in a motor is an, is strong enough. It can actually push the pump shaft the opposite direction. Yeah. That would either push it or pull it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, which is not good. Um, so that's kind of what we're going to do now. You know, you use the laser and, and I like the laser because it gives you really nice, neat information. And what I do on motors, um, I used to take, um, to align motors, I made up a, some bar stock um, and, and some angle iron and would clamp it to the frame of the pump. All right. And I had a couple um, bolts in that bar stock that I could line up with the motor feet on each side. And that way I could use that to, to push the motor to get it to line up angularly, you know, cause if you're trying to line up a hundred horsepower motor, hundred horsepower motors aren't easy to line, easy to align. They don't move quickly. 
you know, you're trying to tap them with a hammer. Sometimes they just don't go and you're you're trying to move it thousandths of an inch. Well, if I've got this bar clamped to the moat, to the pump frame, and I've got a couple studs on each side, I can turn those bolts and push on that frame and I can move it just really easily and move it thousandths of an inch. Yeah. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. That's a slick way in it. And I made it, I made that's, I just made the tool. I just did some bar stock and some bolts drilled in it with taps, you know, taps and threads and went to town on it and it was simple and easy. Very cool. So, So, I mean, so let, let, let me ask you this. You mentioned soft foot and this is a really important one. And just as important as I think is this, is this gap that you're talking about because of the, um, because of the shaft and, uh, moving, um, in and out, as you were saying, and, and the, and the heat generated. So soft foot, mm-hmm. tell us what soft foot is, and then tell us how we correct that. Okay. So soft foot is basically, so you've got, think about a motor, you've got four feet that come off of a motor yep. down to the base that the motor is sitting on. Right. Okay. So in, in handling of motors, if that motor gets dropped, you know, Billy Joe, Jim Bob, that's working on the dock, that's moving that motor and, and moving it around to get it to wherever it's going in the motor shop. If he drops it and it drops it on one foot and he bends that one foot up, now it's not perfectly aligned with the other three. So now the motors, when it's sitting, it's not sitting square on all four feet. So one foot is higher than the other three. And so it wobbles. Mm -hmm. Now it may not be enough that you'd really notice it. It could also be that it's bent in such a way that it's not quite, it's touching, but not quite touching, Mm -hmm. you know, and in correcting it is really a matter of one, figuring out where your soft foot condition is and then getting your shims higher in that spot to get that spot leveled with the other three. Correct. Yeah. Um, and, and it depends, you know, you, you could have, and I've seen motors where um, you have two feet that are messed up, which is really fun to shim around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can happen. Just depends on how bad that motor got bit, got beat up. Bigger motors, it's less likely to happen with the motor, but it can happen. Um, the smaller motors, uh, and I normally see this in um, ODP motors as opposed to TEFC. Okay. Um, and the reason ODP motors is it's more common is because their cast their housing is a steel is a stamped steel housing. It's stamped and rolled. And when you say and o- base plate, o- when you say ODP, do you mean like open drip? Yeah, open drip motors. So um, that, that just just to clarify for everybody, so that's a motor that has basically uh, venting built in the in the 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 body of the motor to cool yes. it. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. Um, so it's a ventilated housing, mm-hmm. and uh, and then the, the 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 other type of motor that we see often is a TEFC or totally enclosed fan cooled, mm-hmm. and those motors. They're real obvious because they've got all the, the the fins on the outside of the motor to radiate heat away from the motor. Yeah. Um, and and there's a fan covered by a fan guard on the end of the motor. If it's blowing air over the motor, 
So it's an externally fan-cooled motor. Yes. Um, and there's other types of motors, but we won't get into that. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> <laughs> of different motor types and all that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so when we look at motors, you know, ODP motors are a little bit more prone to soft foot just by nature of the way they're constructed. You know, TEFC motors, a lot of those are um, cast housings. So their their feet are cast. Um, so if you drop one of them, you usually break the foot and then you got to replace the whole bracket assembly on the bottom of it. Um, so it's a little it's a little harder to get a soft foot in that condition. Mm-hmm. Now, the other way that soft foot can happen is... So we think about a base mount end suction pump or a base mount horizontal split case pump. You've got a metal frame that's basically a channel iron box, so to speak, just the four sides of the box with some cross pieces on it that's all welded together, right? When we build that frame in the factory, we build it on a jig. We know it's true and square. And we mount the pump on it, and we align the pump in the factory, and we know everything is correctly set up when we put it in the factory. And then we're going to take that pump, and we're going to mount it to a pallet, and we're going to put it on a truck, and we're going to ship it someplace in the country. And it doesn't make any difference whether we're shipping it somewhere in Canada, we're shipping it someplace to the United States. It's going to get bounced down the highway. And... As much as the guys that that drive the trucks do a great job of getting product from A to B, what conditions the road in? Yep. You know, I don't know what potholes. I don't know what the roads are like. <laughs> yeah, there's potholes everywhere, and they're bouncing down the road. And you know, this pump is sitting in the back of a truck, and it's getting bounced around, and it's getting beat up. So the alignment may change just by the sheer fact that it drives down the road. Yeah. Then we get it to the job site and the general trades contractor has poured this nice housekeeping pad to set the pump on, right? Mhm. How good of a job did he do getting the top of the top surface of that concrete perfectly flat? Yeah, that's that's never going to happen. And 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 level from side to side end to end over the entire distance. So let's say this this end suction pump that we're going to mount is five feet long end to end. Well, did he get that concrete pad nice, neat, square, plumb, and level the entire five-foot distance, however wide it is and however long it is? So now you take that pump frame and you set it down on this concrete, and does anybody check it when they set it down? Eh, Probably not. And they drill some holes and they run some anchors down into the concrete and they tighten the bolts down and they twist the frame. That's the other way you can create a soft foot is when you twist the frame, now the frame is rocked end to end. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So one of the first things I do when I, when I go out to a, to a customer site and they're complaining that their pump is noisy, um, I go to the four corners wherever the bolts are, you know, have the frame bolted to the concrete. And I take, just loosen the bolts up and see if the frame will rack back into place. 
you'd be surprised how much noise goes away as soon as you let the frame untwist. Yeah. I no no yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah. And and I've had some where as soon as I loosen the bolts up, you know, I can see that one corner of the frame is sitting higher than the other corners of the frame. So uh-huh. not only can you have that soft foot condition with the motor, you can also have a soft foot condition with the entire pump frame. Mm-hmm. So where would you fix that? Would you fix that between the motor and the frame or would you go below the the frame to, to fix the soft foot at the concrete pad? I fix it at the pad first. Okay. Get that fixed first. Get the frame right. leveled up. Get the base underneath the frame leveled up and then yep. work your way up. And you'd use okay. shims there as well? Um, I could use shims. Um, they they actually make different kind of leveling shims for that. Um, if you read our installation manual and all the other pump guys' installation manuals, we actually tell you to, when you set your anchor bolts in the concrete, to actually set the pump up on usually three-quarter inch tapered leveling shims. Okay, so it's a three-quarter inch shim. Okay, so it's three-quarter inches thick, but it's tapered. Okay, and you you move it in or out to get the frame square, plumb, and level all the way around. Then you tighten the bolts down. Okay, so you're using the shims to get the thing leveled before you tighten it down. Um, That's the correct way to do it. What usually happens is, though, you're ended up shiving one corner because the other three are, you know, it's already piped and you're kind of stuck at that point. You can't lift the whole thing up three quarters of an inch. Mm-hmm. But if you yeah. do it from the very beginning, you use three quarter inch leveling shims. Okay, gotcha. Um, but that doesn't always happen. Um, and then ideally, if you really want to keep that frame from going anywhere, um, now Armstrong's frames we don't have to, you don't have to do this. Um, but you can fill in the frame cause you know, you've seen a, you've seen a base mounted in suction pump that inside of that frame is hollow, right? It's, mm-hmm. just, it's a box. You can fill that frame with non-shrinking grout. Now that does a couple things for you. Okay. It adds mass to the pump. And when you add mass to your pump, it tends to get rid of noise and vibration. Okay, one of the one of the tricks to get rid to deaden vibration um, is you put mass to it because as you put mass to it, gravity helps and pulls it down and takes a, takes away some of the vibration, takes away some of the transmission of noise. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, I I was in, in a pump room the other day, and there was a little bit of vibration as soon as I stepped on the frame. the The noise went away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so, I'm, add- I'm, yeah, I'm just sort of clamping down any two pieces that are not fully engaged or touching each other. Right. 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 Um, you know, old pipe fitter trick that I learned years and years and years ago um, on refrigeration piping uh, way back when we had, you know we did a lot of recip compressors. You know, recips had a lot more noise to the piping than scrolls do because of the movement of the pistons and different noise transmissions to uh-huh. the piping. One of the tricks we used to do was if we had piping that was vibrating in the piping rack, we'd hang 
weights from the bottom of the piping and pull down on the piping to get rid of the noise. Really? <laughs> yeah. That, that would, it, that would you know, have, we, the, how, how did that look? <laughs> it, it looked a little bit weird. What we usually did to, you know, we'd figure out how much weight we needed to add. And then we'd take, um, you know, a piece of Unistrut and, you know, take a piece of Unistrut and fill it with concrete, you know, and, and, and then, you know, you go, okay, well, you know, this thing's going to now weigh 10 pounds. You hang it on the bottom of your, you know, your pipe rack as, as the bottom strut of the pipe rack to get it to pull down. I see. Um, you know, looks a little more professional than just hanging, you know, hanging a five pound can of rocks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I would imagine. But, but it, you know, it, it adds the weight, it adds that massing to your piping. I mean, think, just think about refrigeration piping. All that's there is the weight of the piping. I mean, it's, you know, most of the time, if it's suction and discharge piping, it's vapor. There's no, there's no liquid there. If you got, even if you got a liquid line, you know, how big is the liquid line? Half, seven eighths, inch, inch and an eighth. Yeah. So wait, you, know, you don't small, have a lot of, small. you don't have a lot of weight there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's ways to, to counter that. You just add some mass to it to get the vibration to get out of your piping. Interesting. Um, anyway, neat little sidebar. <laughs> so so let me let me go back to sort of when I fixed some soft foot a, a while back there and and my instructions from from every all the information I gathered was shim it until the motor stops rocking on on the <clears throat> on the base and then yep. go over to your shim and try to tug it. Don't like forcefully pull it, but just give it like a, a good firm tug. And if it doesn't pull out, then you can tighten it down at that point. If it pulls out, you need to add a little bit more shimming in order to to, to totally fix it. Yes, yes. Um, and 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 like I said, that's one of the beauties of the laser is because the the display on the laser it'll tell you exactly how much shim you need to add under which corner to correct a soft foot problem. That's that's very cool. I like that. You know, so so there's no more. Okay, how much do I put under there? You know, do I is it tight enough? Can I tug that out? Can I not tug that out? Um, the laser will tell you exactly what you got to. You know, the display will tell you exactly what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you do enough pumps um, for alignment, having the laser alignment tool is really worth it. Oh yeah, and, for sh- for sure, it would be a really good investment, right? Yeah. Um, and, and by, you know, my definition of enough pumps, um, is if you're doing, if you're doing 10 a year, that's enough. Probably it'll save you. Yeah. It'll save you that much time. Yeah. It really will. Um, but we kind of talk about, you know, we, we've talked about getting things in alignment and, and parallel and angular and, and what we got to do to get them there. But why do we do all this? That's, that was that was my next. You, you're reading my mind, Tony, because you because <laughs> you literally just summarized what we talked about, and I was about to do that, and at, then ask you why. <laughs> um, we're we're in sync tonight. We're in sync. This tonight, is buddy. this is good. This is good. Um, so why do we do all this? Well, the first reason is you're going to save wear and tear on both pieces of rotating machinery. You're going to save wear and tear on the motor. You're going to save wear and tear on the pump. Okay. And, and the, the reason you're going to save wear and tear is if you've got those shafts out of alignment with each other. Okay. One's higher than the other. 
uh, one's got one's twisted one way or the other. You're putting stress on the bearings. You're putting stress on the components. Okay, because you're pushing on them in a way that we as a manufacturer didn't intend for them to get pushed. So you're going to get premature bearing wear. So bearings are going to go out faster. Um, you're going to your coupling's going to wear out. Okay, because you've got that rubber spider in the middle of that coupling, right? Yeah. Well, if it's all if the alignment's off bad enough, the the real quick easy way to tell is if you take the coupling guard off and all this rubber shavings fall out. You got an alignment problem because um, you're going to tear up couplings because that that rubber insert is not designed to have a lot of misalignment. You know, it'll take a, it'll take a couple hundreds, but it won't take a quarter inch. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. The last one, the, the last one I pulled out was cracked right across it, and there was <laughs> there was rubber dust everywhere. Yeah. Um. So. That's the first thing is wear and tear on the equipment. The other thing that happens is motors run hotter when they're not not aligned properly because of that additional stress that we're putting on the rotor. Okay, just think about it. You know that rotor that rotor sitting there, it's rotating in a magnetic field and it's floating, but it's got two bearings in it, right? Yeah. Well, think about think about the size of the bearings and how big those bearings are, and you know, I'm guessing you're like every other HVAC service guy that I know. You've taken a motor apart at some point in time in your career just to find out what the inside of a motor looks like, right? Yeah, I did. Um, on, on a side note to that, I took a motor apart once to reverse its rotation. I took the uh, – and it actually worked out really well. I got a motor was going the wrong way, and uh, this was when I was an apprentice, and I called the, the one of my senior guys – and he's like, well, just unbolt it, take the, the rotor out, and then put it in the other side of the stator. And I'm like, okay. And I did it, and it, and it, was, it was fixed. It was now going the right way. <laughs> yeah. And, and that works great on single phase. Yeah. Um, three phase, it's a little easier than that. Oh, yeah. Way easier um, than that. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> couple a couple wires. couple wires, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, you know, because you've taken a motor apart, you understand the bearings in a motor really aren't that big. I mean, they, you know, they're they're half, three quarters of an inch wide. You know, they're not huge bearings. Um, so, you know, if you if you start to twist on those bearings or start to push on them, the, you start to add heat because you're putting you're putting a, a, a torsional force on that bearing that isn't supposed to be there. So that extra force creates heat, and that extra heat radiates out into the casing of the motor and it will drastically affect the motor life. Um, if you get a pump that's really, really badly aligned and throw an amp probe on it, it'll actually be drawn higher amps than what a correctly aligned motor will draw because it's creating drag, mm -hmm. you know, and the motor doesn't know the difference between drag and, and load on the pump end, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's just seeing it as extra work that it's got to do. Yeah. Um, so the, the big, that's the big thing that you're, you're going to gain by getting pumps and rotating machinery properly aligned is reducing the heat, reducing the drag, reducing the wear and tear on the component parts. 
those are the things that you're really negating. Okay. You're going to save yourself a whole lot of wear and tear. You're going to save your customers money at the end of the day. Um, not to mention the, the, the fact that it's going to run quieter. Yeah. Uh, you've, definitely. you've heard pumps that, that aren't li- aligned correctly. They make a lot of noise. They're loud. Yeah. You can no. hear them. Um, and I've also had uh, people tell me that they've been to jobs where uh, a pump and a motor got aligned and within days they, they have an issue. Like they've got a dead motor within days. Mm-hmm. Yep. It doesn't, it doesn't take much, um, for a misalignment to tear something up. Um, you know, it, I can think of way too many examples of way too many jobs I've been on in my career where an alignment condition has burned a motor up in a matter of weeks. Um, and, and it's tough from my perspective as a manufacturer to look at an owner or a contractor and say, I'm sorry, but I can't warrant this motor because it wasn't installed correctly. You know, if it's a, if it's a hundred horsepower motor, that's an expensive, that's an expensive whoops. Yeah. No, Um, no, I've, (laughs) especially if you don't like, this is, this is why we have these podcasts because there might be people out there like maybe some people listening um, don't know that the shafts need to be aligned to this extent. Maybe they, they just think they can eyeball it and go, oh yeah, it looks good. They don't really know that it can't be out more than like a thousandth of an inch or something like that. You know what I mean? It has to be tight, tight in order for it to work properly, to avoid the issues, to avoid vibration, to avoid callbacks and failures that are premature, right? Exactly. And, and one of the challenges is getting people to understand that we as a manufacturer can build a phenomenal piece of equipment and, and build all the reliability into it and, and put a lot of time and effort into engineering and designing that piece of equipment to minimize failures. And if somebody puts it in incorrectly and doesn't follow the instructions that we provide, now all of a sudden you got a problem. Mm-hmm. Now you got an owner that's unhappy with the product that they just spent a lot of money on. Now, you know, one of the nice things in we've, we've talked a lot about alignment on horizontal end suction pumps and horizontal split case pumps. There's a way to get around all that, having to deal with the alignment issues. And that's to go to vertical inline pumps. Cause if you go to vertical inline pumps and, and there's, you can do it with horizontal end suction pumps. If you do, close coupled instead of doing long coupled. The downside is, is if you get a shaft seal leak, now you're, now you're tearing the whole thing apart. Um, or if you get a motor that goes bad, now you're pulling the wet end out to replace the motor. If you go to vertical inline or vertical pump with a spacer coupling on, a spacer coupling on it, mm-hmm. because it's a C face motor. Okay. Because the mo- the face of the, the end bell of the motor is a machined face and the motor stool that the motor is sitting on that's attached to the pump is a machined face and they're machined 
to square everything up. And because of the close tolerances on the bolts that hold the motor to the motor stool, and it's a rigid coupling, there's no spider in between the coupling halves. You get around all the alignment issues. That's one of the big, huge benefits to vertical inline pumps is you eliminate all the alignments, all the misalignment, all that stuff goes away. Yeah, and, and that would be a bit more economical to, maybe to to some contractors, some buildings, because every time we're changing a pump or a, a, a motor, we're not going through this this process, right? It's just a exactly. sort, of, sort of just unbolt it, pull it out, put the new one in, wire it up, and turn it on. Yeah, and there's there's other savings, you know, with the shaft seal, because I can change a shaft seal on a vertical split-coupled vertical inline pump. I can change a shaft seal in... 30 or 40 minutes versus a back pull out horizontal end suction. You know, I got to valve the pump off and I'm draining stuff down and I'm taking things out and I may have to realign it depending on how much I got to take apart. A whole lot more work involved in fixing a shaft seal on a horizontal end suction than there is on a vertical inline. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question um, about, uh, can I just ask you a question since you brought up shaft seals? There mm-hmm. was, um, this will be interesting to get your take on it. I had a building, uh, I still take care of it, but many years ago, we had to change out a couple of seals because what, what was happening was the, the, the pumps were getting shut down in the summertime for the boiler system. Then ter- when they got turned back on, the seals were leaking. And this happened on a few occasions. Since then, the, um, the operator and, and I said, well, let's leave them on this summer and see what happens just as an experiment. So... We didn't have any leaks. And then he's like, I'm just going to leave them on. I'm like, you sure? Like, you want to leave them on like all summer again? He's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And he, that was his decision. That's his building. We haven't had a leak since in, in a shaft seal in these two pumps and this mechanical room. What do you think about that? What happens with shaft seals is when the pump sits there and shuts off. Okay. And this is, and I'm going to assume these were horizontal end suction. Um, vert- vertical pumps. Okay. So horizontal end suction, it's worse because what happens is you've got this horizontal overhanging load and the shaft seals out there at the end and the weight sitting down on the shaft seal pushes down on it. And when you start it back up, it, it develops a flat spot in it. Yep. And so you get a shaft leak okay. in a vertical inline. What happens when you let it sit for a period of time, you get a little bit of rust inside that seal cavity. Okay. From the water, you, there's just, you know, there's crud in the water, but it sits in there. And as soon as you start that pump back up, that little bit of crud has gone through there and it tears the seal face up, you know, cause those seal faces, it, it's, I mean, you've seen the seal faces, it's a carbon seal, it's carbon face. It doesn't take much to tear that up. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you tear that face up, you get a leak. So and you notice all our seals have a seal flush line on them, right? Because we're flushing water through there as long as the pump's running, right? Yeah. As soon as you stop and you turn that pump off, now you get some rust and debris that can form in there. And as soon as you start it back up, it'll tear that shaft seal up. Now, leaving it run all year long, Eh, probably not the best thing to do. 
not the worst thing to do, but it's it's wasting energy. Yes, a hundred percent it is. Okay, so my the the right answer is to run it monthly, run it for an hour every month, um, you know, a couple hours every month, just to keep that shaft to keep the crud out of it. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Now, one of the other things they can do, and I don't know this particular installation, we make a um, filter to go in that seal flush line. Um, It's a, you can get them as an add-on. Don't ask me what the part numbers are because I couldn't tell you. Uh, But it basically, it looks like an oil filter for your car. Yeah. I've canister spin on. Yep. And it, it goes in the seal flush line. And basically what it does is it filters out a lot of the crud from the water. So even on a closed loop system, um, you know, I don't know what the water treatment's like, but you, you've opened up closed loop systems that have sat for a period of time. There's always rust and crud and grit yeah, yep. in the system. It's, it's steel pipe. It's going to happen. There's nothing we can do. I mean, we can treat the water all we want, but you're always going to get a little bit of grit in there. Um, and so that filter will help keep that grit from getting into the shaft seal. Um, those are the best things I can tell you. Um, but keeping it running all the time keeps seal flush going and it never has a chance to just sit. And so consequently you don't get the leaks due to sitting over time. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, do you mind if I, do you mind if we go back a little bit? Cause you mentioned um, just, just we'll top this off this way. You mentioned we talked about lasers in aligning a shaft, but we also talked about dial indicators. And mm-hmm. there might be some younger technicians listening to this and not know what a dial indicator is or how it works. Just just for curiosity's sakes, um, just touch on it for a minute and, and explain what a dial indicator is and how it works by rotating around the shaft to, to, to see if we have some deviation. Okay, so a dial indicator... Um looks like the face of a of an old-style analog watch. And it's graduated 0 to 10 or 0 to 100, depending on how big the dial indicator is and what its accuracy is. Um, and there's a pointer on the other side of it. And the pointer is um, spring-loaded. Mm-hmm. So if you push in on the pointer, the dial moves. Okay, and the dial looks like a gauge, you know, just like a pressure gauge. Yep. And in effect, we're kind of measuring pressure in a different form. So what we're going to do is we have this dial indicator, and there's a an assembly that we clamp to the, let's say we clamp it to the, the pump coupling half. Okay, and this it's a block with a chain on it and we clamp this block to the coupling half and it's got a couple bars attached to it and the bars hold the dial indicator out at the very end of the bar and the end of that the dial indicator the point of the dial indicator I'm going to put one down on the top face of the coupling half and I'm going to put the other one on the vertical face Okay, so you got a horizontal face and a vertical face. So I'm going to have one on the vertical, on the horizontal face, and one on the vertical face of the coupling half, and then I'm going to rotate this thing, mm-hmm. and I'm looking for how much movement there is in the dial. 
in the pointer. And I'm looking for it because there's a zero. I'm going to zero it, and there's a zero point, and I'm going to look for it in positive or negative numbers. Can I add, can I add one thing that I th I think <laughs> might be important? So when you're setting that up, um, the dial up on the on the faces, you want to have the dial or you want to have that pointer in the mid position so it can go up or down, and then you set it to zero, right? Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. You don't want it. You don't want it pushed all the way in. Um, you you want it. So you, you, you want a little bit of tension on it so it can go up or down. That's right. Yeah. Um, mid, mid travel point type. type thing. Yeah. Mid travel. Um, that's one of those things. It's easier to show somebody how to do it. <laughs> oh, I know. I know it is. I know it is. But that's, that's the, the, the part when you're listening, a hard part when you're listening to a podcast um, is visualizing. But I hope that people will now go out and start watching some videos that will that kind yes. of spark that, that interest. Right. Right. Well, if you remember when we, before we did our first podcast together, we talked about doing this one and mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh God, how am I going to do this? Um, and so from then to now, you know, I've kind of thought about how I'm going to, you know, play the visual. And, and that's where the two soup cans came from is, you know, to get people to think about, you know, okay, what do we have? What are we doing here? Um, cause I know a lot of the folks that listen to your podcast, some of them are just getting started in their careers. And then there's guys like you that have been out there for a few years. And then there's guys like me that have been out there forever, um, and seen all this stuff. Yeah. Wide um, range. Yeah. yeah. And, and which is the cool thing. I, I'm, I'm thrilled with the audience that you have. Um, and it, uh, this is a completely different um, method of educating and in a different method of learning that I'm still getting used to. <laughs> yeah, me, me too, because it's all, it's all audio, right? And it's just so many, I think majority of society are visual learners. So mm -hmm. when they listen to a podcast, like I said earlier, I'm hoping that if they have a, a struggle picturing in their mind what's being portrayed in words that they go look it up to, to find a diagram or a video because when they hear it first and then they go see it visually they've kind of got an idea of what they're looking at when they hit that visual it kind of clicks a light bulb so the two go hand in hand i think yes you are correct and i think i'm i'm hoping that that these kind of discussions that that we have spark people to go learn more and go research, um, go online. And there's, I know there's a bunch of YouTube videos, um, out there on how to do alignments. Um, and you know, we talked about shaft alignments and we talked about alignments on pumps, um, and, and mostly that type of rotating machinery pumps and compressors, but, you know, belt alignment is just as critical, um, and and we're not gonna we're not gonna go down that rabbit hole, but it's just as critical because it'll wear your cup, it'll wear your your shivs out, and it'll wear your belts out just as quickly if you don't have them aligned. Yep, no, hundred percent. So, anyway. 
Yeah, well, well, we did it, man. We we got through it. We've got let, to to summarize as you you did earlier. We we started talking about um, what alignment is basically the two soup cans joining together uh, with a space in between. Uh, we want to get our parallel, which is up and down, side to side, and then angular alignment done. Uh, we want to get our soft foot. We want to have that gap uh, proper for the the heat. Um, as you were explaining, and the, the the motor shaft moving in and out, and then we want to yep. get our soft foot good, uh, and then we want to do like a full proper alignment once we've got it kind of roughed in with a laser or the dial indicator. And you'd explain what the dial indicator is for, and what else we why why we do it because we want to avoid yep. vibration, <laughs> um, we want to keep the longevity of equipment, and the importance of this is probably not as well understood as it should be within the industry. And, and hopefully that this conversation now puts that importance into the heads of people. I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. Um, you know, I, I, I think the one thing that I think all of this has done is started to get people to think more about what it is that we do. Um, that servicing HVAC equipment and mechanical equipment in general is more than just change the filters and grease the bearings. There's so much more to it. And um, the best thing I can tell service guys out there, especially young guys, is learn as much as you can. Um, and, and reach out to guys like, like, like yourself, Gary, that, that are doing these kind of things and helping people learn, which is cool, which I think is great. Yep. Yeah, man. So I, I got to thank you for your time tonight, Tony, and um, thinking about this for as long as you did <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to try to portray the the words so we could all understand it. But yeah, th- thank you very much. I appreciate it. Oh, you're quite welcome. You're quite welcome. As usual, I had fun. Um, and, uh, and now um, it's time to go relax. Yes, it is. All right. Great discussion, Tony. We covered a lot there, and I'm hoping you guys go out now and take a deeper dive into this subject if you guys are into like commercial, industrial applications where you could see this. And now you can go out and, and start correcting these issues. I understand the, the tools, the, the laser tools are expensive. That would be something that your company would probably have to purchase. And if you guys do a lot of these, maybe you can, and you don't have one, maybe that's a discussion that you guys should be having. And from what I understand, we talked about that SKF uh, laser alignment tool that basically has an app. You can see it on your phone or, or your probably your tablet as well. That one, when I looked it up, was fairly, or I shouldn't say fairly inexpensive, but relatively inexpensive. I think it was like, four or five grand. Now I've seen some other ones that were up there like in the 15, 15 grand type thing. So this one looks economical, uh, relatively speaking, and it looks like a really cool, uh, setup as well. And then there's the old school dial indicator. Those are a lot less, um, inexpensive, right? But I, I don't know if they're as fun to play with, right? And they're a little bit, they're probably a little bit more tricky to set up. So let's talk about this in, in summary. We want to do a rough alignment, okay? We, we want to do that with a straight edge and maybe even a caliper in, in your rough alignment just to get our parallel, our up and down and, and horizontal like shaft set up, right? Up and down, 
side to side. Then we want to get the angular alignment done, and we're gonna we're gonna need to do, to use shims, right? We talked about shim kits for the 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 up and down portion, right? That's that's how we're gonna raise our pump, right? If if we need to, or remove shims if we need to do that as well. And we need to correct that soft foot, that wobble. And and the way I've done that is just find out which which corner is wobbly. And you put shims underneath until the wobble is corrected and you try to tug those shims out. And if you can't tug them out, you've corrected that and you can, you can bolt it down. And one thing we didn't talk about, which is important is, is tightening the bolts in sort of a cross pattern, like start on one corner, go to the, the, the other corner, then move to the one beside that one and then come back across kitty corner to that and continue in that pattern because that's important too is is the method you use to tighten the bolts because if you tighten down one side first and then the other side it might not tighten down properly um, so it's always best to use that cross pattern tightening just like a tire or just like if you have a, a head gasket on a compressor or something like that um, and you're tightening the head back down you want to cross over right it's not just in, in a circle so these are all the things that we need to look at. And then finally, obviously, we take that dial indicator or the laser alignment tool and make sure our rough alignment is, is intact. Hey, you could get lucky. You're, you're rough. You could be a, an awesome rough shaft alignment and get it done. Get it done with, with your rough alignment. You put, put the, the, the tool on and go, wow, I'm, I'm pretty good. But you might find that you're out a bit and you need to make those corrections and make sure that you look in the literature to see what your, your deviation is, your maximum deviation and stay within that realm. Don't move outside of that because that's when your problems start to happen. Anyway, thank you, Tony. Thank you once again to the master group. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.